How many of you are ready for God's word today? Do you remember what we've talked about? The title of this series is Vantage. Now, Vantage literally means a better perspective or a better point of view. How do we get that better point of view, that better perspective? Well, we said there's certain things that can affect our perspective, our point of view. It's ourselves or our view of ourselves, others' view of us, our circumstance or situation. But that's not the way you get a better point of view. That's what affects your point of view. If you want a better point of view, you got to get God involved. Because he has a better point of view, amen? He has a better vantage point. And in order to get God involved, you need to understand his word and depend on his word. We need to pray and get him involved through prayer. And then today we're going to talk about worship. And as I began to prepare for this message and, and uh, started to think about what I would say, I realized that we have some really good teachers in this congregation. And I shared with you, we're growing them up. We've got Miss Christie, who is growing in the Lord and, and, and her ability to teach. We have Brother Jamie, who shared a message with us just weeks ago and, and knocked it out of the park. We have Brother Brady. We have my wife and myself. We have a lot of folks in this congregation that can teach, but we also have a worship pastor that I thought would be perfect to teach us about worship. To talk about worship, getting a better perspective. We've covered his word. We've covered prayer. Now I'm ask, I want to ask Raquel Pena, my daughter and your worship pastor, to come up and share with us a message on worship. Good morning, FCM. How are y'all? Man, I'm going to fall. So I'm, I know myself. I'm just going to scoot this I'm the clumsy one in the family. I gave it away. Um, can I be real? I was nervous to prepare this message because I had the privilege of preaching on worship two years ago. And so many of you told me that was such an impactful sermon in your life. And then Pastor Chris and I started talking and we started to see there's so much more to worship than just music and song. What we do for the 30 minutes before we preach Worship goes so much deeper. And as a worship pastor, I wish we were going over how to clap on beat or <laughs> finding the right key and pitch and tone because I would nail that and that would be simple. But God spoke this message to me this week and I found myself really convicted and challenged and ultimately changed. <laughs> And so I'm standing here to tell you that this isn't something that I'm preaching at you. This is something that God is preaching in me and through me. And he spoke it first to me. So now I get the privilege of sharing it with you. Also a disclaimer, this is my first time preaching in front of my dad, so wish me luck. <laughs> but let's go to the word and God in prayer. Lord, right now, Jesus, we just want to come to you, Lord, and say thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love, and most of all, God, thank you for the gift of your son. We stand here today by no accident, Lord, but by divine appointment as you call this into your house. And we pray, Lord, 
that we would be challenged, Lord, but more so, Lord, that we would be changed from the inside out, Lord, and that when we leave here today, Lord, it would be your word that is spoken to us, Lord, your word that inspires us, Lord, and your word that convicts us. And we pray all of these things in your heavenly son's name, Jesus, amen. Amen. So as we were going through this sermon together, me and my dad, um, we kind of started bouncing ideas off of each other. And how first you have to read the word, second, you have to pray, third, you have to worship. So we're going to be talking about four ways of worshiping our Father. And the first point is worship of praise and of thanksgiving. And this is something that makes you think about song, right? Or dance, music. And as simple as that is, first of all, we have to get just a glimpse of God's glory, of his goodness, of his majesty, before we are able to truly worship him in praise and in thanksgiving. Because the fact of the matter is, so many times we treat God like he is just ordinary. Like he's just someone that we pass on the streets. And every single time I lose my perspective of just how great and how good and magnificent and glorious my God is, I love to go back to a sermon illustration by Pastor Louis Giglio. Anybody know Pastor Louis Giglio? And he talks about that illustration. Pastor Chris did it for us a few years ago where it says, if the earth was a golf ball, and I know you've heard it before, so we're not going to do it again, but... I wanted to remind you of just how great and magnificent our God is. So let's put up the picture of the galaxy. Do any of you know the name of our galaxy that we live in? That's awesome. A plus, A plus student right there. That's great. So did you know that the Milky Way galaxy, though, consists of literally billions of stars? In fact, if you were to count each of the stars in just our galaxy alone, one star per second, it would take you 2,500 years. Can you say, wow? That's a lot of counting. I mean, I'm, I'm tired of just counting what's here on this picture. I can't imagine actually counting the stars in our galaxy. And it's 100,000 light years from this end to that end. In case you were like me and you had no idea what that actually meant, that means if you were to go 186,000 miles per second, it would take you 100,000 years to get from point A to point B. Can somebody say wow? <laughs> Let's show the next picture. In case you need a little bit more convincing, see that little dot? That's us. And somewhere on that little dot is you. Can you see you waving? And maybe you're a little confused and you're like, well, why aren't we at the center? I hate to break it to you, but even in our own galaxy, we still aren't at the center, church, because guess what? We're not the center of the universe. <laughs> but let's go to the next picture. So there's literally hundreds and billions of galaxies, and they just discovered 300,000 more <laughs> two weeks ago. You see, this is something that's infinitely expanding. And if you need more of a size perspective, let's say that our solar system is the size of a quarter, just the solar system where Earth is at. Then the Milky Way, our galaxy, would be the size of the North American continent. Wow. Let me repeat that again. 
not even the earth, we're including the whole solar system, is the size of a quarter, then just our galaxy would be the size of the North American continent. (laughs) Are are you feeling a little small? (laughs) You see, you may be tempted to think, man, Pastor Raquel, why are you making me feel so small? No, I'm trying to tell you, we are small church. And we serve a great, magnificent, glorious, wonderful, powerful God. And it's important for us to say, wow. Because in that wow, we start to truly understand just how amazing and incredible he is. In that wow, you finally give him the kind of all praise that he deserves. Because in Psalms 104, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving in his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. You see, if you have an all understanding of God, where you truly understand how magnificent he is, it's gonna be easy for you to come in here and praise him like he's magnificent. It's gonna be easy for you to jump and to sing and to dance and to praise and to shout. But so many times we get confused We try to make us bigger than we really are. Or we think that our praise is dependent upon circumstances and surroundings. Well, God, if you do X, Y, and Z for me, Lord, or if you give me that promotion, or or you give me favor and blessings here and there, Lord, then maybe if I feel like it, then I'll praise you. Or if the person beside me isn't singing off key, and if they're raising their hands, God, then I don't mind singing too. You see, our praise is not dependent upon circumstance and surroundings. Our praise is dependent upon God's goodness and majesty. And can I tell you, church, his goodness is never ending and his love is never failing. So every single time we enter in here, if we truly understand just how big and how great and how wonderful our God is, then it's gonna be easy to praise him like he is. So, What I'm standing here today is I'm trying to encourage you along with myself that it's time that we start understanding just how big and great our God is. That when we look up at the sky, we don't just say, well, those are a few specks in the air, but we say, wow, God, you created all of that, and yet you chose to come to my little speck and to save me and to send your one only son, and to have a relationship with me, and know me by name. And just like you know the stars all by name, God, you know me, and you made me. So number two, when you finally start to understand just how great and how big God is, it's gonna be easy to have a worship and a heart of honor towards our Savior. You see, when you're awestruck, it's gonna be your natural reaction to want to honor him through your praise and worship. But our society and our culture has started to popularize and started to celebrate dishonor and disrespect and gossip, right? If you go on social media, you'll see it all over. Everyone's blasting each other, everyone's subtweeting each other, everyone's trying to undercut each other. And we carry that same attitude of disrespect and dishonor towards our Savior. Isaiah 6.3 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. 
This is the kind of attitude that God wants us to have when we praise him. He wants us to declare, holy, holy, holy. Every time you enter into his presence, church, holy, holy, holy. Every time you're going through a difficulty, holy, holy, holy. Every time you go home and see your kids, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Instead of treating him like he's ordinary, he wants us to understand that this is the kind of honor and praise that he deserves. But in order to do that, you have to stop trying to bring him down to your level. I think the reason why our culture is trying to popularize dishonor and disrespect is because the devil realizes that if he can get us to dishonor our teacher, if he can get us to disrespect our parents, if he can get us to talk bad about our government, then surely he can get us to disrespect and dishonor our savior because he's the one that established that authority in the first place. I remember when I was 13, my dad, Pastor Chris, was pastoring our youth group rush for a period of time. And he had us do this human video and they had the song playing in the human video by Depeche Mode, Personal Jesus. Maybe you've heard of it. Anybody heard this song? And can I tell you as a 13 year old, that was really weird. I was like, dad, why are you making us play this weird rock song to talk about Jesus? I don't get it. But he had one of my friends stand and represent Jesus. And we came by and we would put props and things on Jesus. The model put a boa. The hippie put a blunt. I was a kicker. I put a cowboy hat on Jesus and made him stand like this. And we had the football player put something and the guy that liked fishing put something and the baseball player and the cheerleader. Everyone put something on Jesus. And I thought, dad, why are you doing this? This makes no sense. We would never disrespect and dishonor Jesus like that. I would never make Jesus smoke or make Jesus, you know, try to walk around like a model. That makes no sense. But as I grew up, I started to see that we like to put our own sin and our own past on Jesus. We like to put our own problems on Jesus and say, God, I know my neighbor's trash stinks and I know their sin is no good, but Lord, you're gonna put up with mine, right? Lord, you're okay with my sin and my struggle. You're not gonna make me change, right? And I started to see that we all are guilty of making Jesus into our own image. But can I tell you that we are called to live in Jesus' image? He's not called to fit into ours. And it's time that we stop trying to morph and form Jesus into us. Maybe you've heard of this song.
When I heard this song, I was disgusted. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, God's good. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Did we not just say that when we talk about God, he deserves to be said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Not that he's just, eh, he's good, eh, he's okay, yeah, I guess he's great. No, our God deserves to be met with reverence and with respect and with dignity. But we're guilty of trying to make him like us and trying to make him our friend. Can I tell you that God calls you his friend? <laughs> he calls me his friend. I don't call him my friend. Do you get that? You see, we try to treat him like our friends and say, okay, if I have time with you, then I'll hang out with you. Or if I'm in the mood, then I guess we can get dinner, God. <laughs> or you know what? I know that we haven't talked in a while, but I've just been busy, God. I'll, I'll hit you up next time. You see, God calls you his friend, me his friend, meaning that we are the blessed ones to have him in our lives. And we have to stop trying to morph him into our own personal Jesus and say that he's just like us. Because I hate to break it to you, church, he's nothing like us. He's not some slob or bum on the bus trying to find his way to heaven like we are. No, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Isaiah 55 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we have to stop trying to bargain and reason with our Savior. So many times I feel like I'm arguing with God. <laughs> Like, I'm like, Jesus, if you would just cooperate and get with the program, God, don't you see I have a plan and a purpose for my life? No, Jeremiah says, I have a plan and a purpose, meaning God has a plan and a purpose for your life. So it's time that we stop trying to argue with Jesus, stop trying to reason with him, and finally realize that when Isaiah says his plans and his thoughts are higher, that we trust that his plans and his thoughts are higher for our lives, church. So how do we honor him? When you finally have that awestruck wonder of Jesus, and when you understand what it means to praise and to give thanksgiving to him, naturally you're going to want to honor him by offering your life offering your body as a living sacrifice to him. And Romans 12, one says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, come on, which is your spiritual? This is worship. It's not just the songs that we sing. It's offering your body and your life day after day to God as a sacrifice. It's once and for all saying, Jesus, this life is not my own God. I realize that it's not just a Sunday morning thing, but it's every single day I'm offering my life to you, God. I'm laying my life down. That's honor. Obeying the word is honor. So when you're able to honor God, then naturally you're gonna be able to honor others in your life because Mark 12, 30 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. We went on our leadership retreat a couple of weeks ago as a team and 
we all came to the conclusion that we're ready to see God's spirit move. We're ready for Bastrop County to experience power. And we're ready for this church to be different and changed. And I was just talking to my dad. I was like, Pastor Chris, I was like, you know, I'm tired of just playing church. I want us to be the church. I want us to be like the New Testament church, God. I, I want there to be miracles. and I want lives to be changed. And I want healing to take place. How do we do that? And he simply said, we need to get back to the basics. I was like, what? I thought you were gonna say, let's have a big revival or a big event or, you know, we spend this much money and then this many people come in. No, we just simply need to get back to the basics, meaning we need to read our Bible, we need to pray, and we need to worship like never before. And I feel like sometimes we're like, oh, that's hard, or oh, that's too simple. I'd rather just have this 20-step program or process. But God is telling us right now in his greatest commandments that we're called to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as ourselves. So if we're wondering why we're not experiencing his power and blessings, maybe it's because we're not doing his first commandment right by simply just loving him with all of our hearts and loving others. You see, by honoring and by respecting the authority that God has placed in our lives, we're in turn honoring and respecting him. So let's go through these verses really quickly. Ephesians 6, 2 says, honor your father and mother. This is the great, this is the commandment with a promise. Can all of the parents say amen? And now nudge your kids and say amen. <laughs> you see, if you want blessings and favor, God says this is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother, no matter what age you are. Church leadership, 1 Thessalonians 5. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with one another. Amen. Can I tell you, I have seen clearly those who honor and respect and cherish my family and the families of this church and leadership, that their lives have been blessed radically by God. For, to give you an example, just throwing this out there, I've seen somebody that has with favor given $100 to my family and their blessing be returned tenfold. <laughs> I've seen someone that has prayed for my dad's healing of his ulcerative colitis, and now they're experiencing healing in their own life. You see, when you honor the leadership and the authority that God has put in place, then God is gonna in turn honor you and bless you. Yeah. Romans 12.10 says, love one another with brotherly affection and outdo each other in showing honor. See, you may be thinking, okay, I can honor you, God, and I guess it's not that hard to honor Pastor Chris. He's okay most of the time, but <laughs> you don't understand, like, the coworker that God placed in my life, or my sister-in-law, or, man, my mother-in-law. <laughs> like, come on, God, you don't expect me to honor those people, do you? God's saying, everyone, outdo each other in showing honor. He is not holding anyone exempt from this. If you're a Christian and you're called by Christ, then you're called to show everyone honor. And the last one, this is the hardest one, so we're gonna leave it at the end. Romans 13, 
Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. I'm trying to bless you, church. I'm trying to help you out if you let me. You see, there's been this movement of not my president or, you know, I don't like that teacher or man, my boss is crazy and I'm not going to respect them. Can I tell you that any authority that is established here on this earth was instituted by Christ? And so when you're talking against them or coming against them, that you're not rebelling against them, you're rebelling against God. And can I tell you what that's called? Witchcraft, plain and simple. So it's time that we start to understand that you're not doing President Trump a favor, you're not doing Professor so-and-so a favor, or your boss a favor, but you're showing honor and respect and dignity to the Lord Most High when you are honoring, praying for, and blessing those that God has placed in your life. And number three, worship of repentance. This is all tying together because when you are awestruck in wonder, you're finally able to praise and bring God thanksgiving. When you're able to bring God praise and thanksgiving, then naturally you're gonna wanna shower honor and love and respect on not only him, but everyone that's placed in your life. And when you do that, you're gonna start to see when you wrong Christ, or when you wrong your brother and sister in Christ. I was starting to feel like this year I hit a roadblock. Like I wasn't really experiencing God's blessed in my worship. And like I was having a really hard time connecting with him. I don't know if any of you have been there or it's just me. But it was just really difficult for me to praise him or to have private time with him. And I was not really sure what was going on. And I felt really convicted by Christ as we went through the two studies, killing kryptonite. I don't know if you guys had the privilege of doing that and driven by eternity. (laughs) And it's all about repentance and getting right with Christ. And as I started to read my Bible, I started to see, man, God, I'm telling you that you're holy, Lord, and I'm trying my best to live my life as you've called me to live my life, but I have not taken the time to humble myself and repent. Because repentance reminded me of all my failures and all of my shortcomings. It made me feel dirty and just bad about myself. And as I started to read my Bible, I started to see that repentance actually has the exact opposite effect when you do it. You see, the enemy is going to try to tempt you to conceal your sin and to hide your sin and to forget about your sin. But when you do that, it's just going to pull you further and further away from your Savior. And it's one of those things that you don't even see coming. It just slowly starts happening. You're gonna feel like worshiping less. You're gonna feel like God's presence isn't available in your life. 
And so the Lord was calling out to me and crying out to me and saying, Raquel, the reason why you aren't experiencing my love is because you haven't had access to it because you haven't repented. Second Chronicles says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive them of their sin and heal their land. You see, repentance is not a suggestion. It is a command. When you repent, you're able to have relationship with your heavenly father. You're able to have direct access to him. And so maybe you're here today and saying, man, I'm feeling like my blessings are getting blocked. I'm feeling like I didn't have um, the blessings and the favor that I feel like I need to at this point in my life. Can I suggest or rather instruct you by God's word to repent? Matthew 4, 17 says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the key, church. I was asking Pastor Chris, how can we experience God's kingdom here on earth? How can we unlock the supernatural blessings that God has in store for us? It starts with simply getting on your knees, humbling yourself, seeking God, and turning from the ways of this earth. It's that simple. And I found myself this summer just crying out to God through worship on my knees saying, God, please forgive me of my sins, Lord. Lord, please forgive me of my transgressions and my past, God. I wanna experience you, God. I wanna see your face. I wanna see you for all that you've done in my life. And as the tears started streaming down my face, I've never felt closer to God. It wasn't in this position reaching towards heaven. It was in this position of humility that I was finally able to experience the glory, the wonder, and the power of my Savior. I want to go to this passage in Psalm 51. This is right after the prophet Nathan came to David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. David could have been tempted to say, it was my right to take her, I am the king. Do you not know who I am? I've defeated tens and thousands of men. I mean, I'm the ruler, I can do whatever I wanna do. But when he was confronted with his sin, this is what he said. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me away of all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth to declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I shall bring it. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. I was floored when I read this because I saw one of the greatest men of all time, a, God, a man after God's own heart, cry out to God because he could not stand to be outside of his presence. He couldn't stand to be withheld from the power and the glory of his savior. And so I just really want to encourage us right now, church, that if you want to experience God's power, 
If you want to experience God's blessings, then it starts with a broken and contrite heart that's simply just crying and calling out to God. I think a lot of times we want something that's big and spectacular and grand. Can I tell you that the mountains will move when you hit your knees? (laughs) Can I tell you that not only will the mountains move, but they'll be cast into the mist of the sea when you cry out to God? That is where true power takes place. Which brings us to our last point, worship of warfare. You see, when you are awestruck and when you realize just how big and great God is, you're gonna bring him honor, you're gonna bring him praise, you will bring him thanksgiving and you will naturally have a heart that's softened and ready to repent to your savior. And in that repentance, you are gonna find strength, you're gonna find power, but you're also gonna find victory. Victory in any situation, in any circumstance, in any struggle or battle. And as I was reading my Bible and trying to figure out how should we close this message, I came across this story. And I started to see that this is a representation of what is happening not only in our life, but in our community. And I believe that this is the kind of victory that God wants to give us if we just trust in him and believe him for more. And Second Chronicles says, after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Mennonites came to wage war against King Jehoshaphat. Some people came to him and told him, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in En Gedi. That's like saying it's already in Del Valley. It's right there. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town. Can I tell you there's something powerful and something special when God's people come together and seek him? When God's people drop everything and say, Lord, we need your help, we're fasting, we're stopping what we're doing right now, and we're coming together to seek your name. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven who rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before and the people of Israel and give it forever to your descendants? They have lived in it and they have built in it a sanctuary for your name saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple that bears your name and we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and you will save us. So they were given a promise by God that if any calamity, any struggle came against them, they would have to come together in their temple and cry out to God. And they believed it. They believed it. They came together that the Lord would hear them. And they did. All the men of Judah and their wives and their children and even the little ones stood before God. Can I tell you to never underestimate a family that comes together and prays together, church? I think a lot of times we think this is just for the man of the house or the woman of the house. Can I tell you it's for every single person in your household? It's their responsibility and their duty when a calamity comes your way to gather together and to pray. And I can tell you some of the most powerful moments in our house have been because my dad or my mom brought us together 
and prayed over our lives and we started to see even then peace and blessings and favor fall. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jezeel, son of Zechariah. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Can I encourage you today and say that whatever struggle you're facing, whatever battle or whatever army is coming your way, that this battle is not your own church. And I think that's a lot of times why we get it mixed up and we get it twisted is because we're trying to fight our battles in our own strength. We're trying to face an entire army, just us. And can I tell you that the Lord is trying to cry out to you and say that this battle is not yours. It's God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the gorge. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord gave you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, for the Lord will be with you. The Lord is with you, church. He is working all things out for your good. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down to worship before the Lord. Can I tell you what a posture of praise and power and worship looks like, church? Like this. But I cannot say with confidence that we would be doing this right now. If the Lord said, the battle is not your own, you do not have to fight, we will fight for you. You'd probably be saying, okay God, around what time are you gonna show up? (laughs) And how are you gonna defeat them? Is it gonna be like swords or flaming arrows, maybe some gas, like how's it gonna happen, God? (laughs) You see, when you are awestruck in wonder of just how great and magnificent God is, you will have no trouble believing that he's gonna defeat some minuscule army. When you understand just how vast and how grand our galaxy is, much less the universe, then you will see that it will be no problem or issue for God to come and fight on your behalf. <laughs> so instead of saying, okay, God, how are you gonna do this? When are you gonna do this? And what's gonna happen, you will have no problem falling on your face in praise and wonder and adoration like King Jehoshaphat and his people because you know when God says it is done, it is done. In verse 20, so early in the morning they left out for the desert and they set out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in the prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for his splendor and his holiness. And as they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. As they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Am and Moab and saying Mount Seir, and they were invading Jerusalem, but they were defeated. Did they fight? Did one of them pick up a sword? No, it says they simply sang of his splendor and his holiness 
The army's behind them. How would you like to be one of those men that are praising with your hands lifted high without a sword in your hand and this army is charging at you? Would you have that kind of faith and courage as these men are running against you and you're just like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We give thanks to our Lord. His love endures forever. In that moment, would you have faith? I didn't say this in first service, but I'm just realizing, I feel like there's some men and women that need to be appointed (laughs) to go out before the army (laughs) and to sing his praises. Because in that moment, God set ambushes down and defeated the entire army. (laughs) That's incredible. It's amazing that what they did in the physical had an effect on the spiritual. You may think me raising my hands has no consequence. Maybe you are raising your hands for your marriage. You may think me hitting my knees has no point, but maybe you hitting your knees is delivering someone from sickness and disease. You may think my prayers aren't being heard, but they're delivering your children and your children's children to a legacy of victory. You see, what you do in the physical church has a consequence, not only on today, but tomorrow and your future. And so I'm here to encourage you, to encourage all of us, that it's time that we stop trying to fight this battle on our own. That we start to realize that it is God who desires to fight our battle for us. But he cannot do it until you have enough faith to praise. He is not able to fight on your behalf until you are able to take a posture of praise and say, Lord, I believe you for more, God. God, I trust you for more. Lord, I desire more. Because I think a lot of times we say, okay, God, fight. I'm ready. Bless me. Bring victory. But we're too proud for or stubborn to realize that it starts here. And it doesn't even start here. It actually starts here where you're saying, God, you promised me victory, and Lord, I will have the faith to see it through. (laughs) And as we finish here today, can I just say, I am ready for some spiritual breakthrough to take place. Because every single week we say, breakthrough takes place in? Breakthrough takes place in? But do we worship like breakthrough takes place in worship? Do we worship with hearts that are open and ready to see God move? Do we praise him like he's holy, holy, holy and honor him? Because I can tell you, I am sick and tired of seeing us getting beaten up by the devil. I was telling my youth group, do you realize we've seen a youth split eight times, but it's been the same way every time gossip? I'm like, guys, come on, it's time we wake up and see that when we praise God, we're naturally gonna wanna honor each other and we're not gonna gossip. (laughs) We're gonna love each other. You know, I'm sick and tired of seeing marriages and homes being broken up and youth coming in here with the same problems of insecurity and brokenness. 
I think if we finally decided, God, I am ready for you to fight this battle, but I'm also ready to come on the front lines and worship like you're gonna fight this battle, that real breakthrough is going to take place. Because the fact of the matter is, we can go on leadership retreats and say, Jesus, how can you move God? Lord, we want your victory, we want your presence. But until the entire church worships, you see, it wasn't just King Jehoshaphat here on his knees and on his forehead screaming out and crying out to God. It was the entire church. It was the entire community. From the men and the warriors to the women and to the little ones, they were all crying out and declaring the goodness and the glory of our God. So I would like to say that Pastor Chris and Melissa and myself are dedicated to being on the front line, worshiping for your victory. But the fact of the matter is, until you worship for your own victory, you are gonna see God move in your life. And so as the worship team comes up, I just want us to take one moment just to be completely sincere with God, with every head bowed and with every eye closed. Maybe the Lord convicted you here today that you've been taking God for granted and you've been treating him like he's just ordinary. Maybe you've forgotten just how big and how great and how grand our Savior really is. And when you come into his presence and to his courts, you forget to say, holy, holy, holy. You forget to have that heart of thanksgiving and praise. Maybe since you've been treating him like he's ordinary, you've been dishonoring him and the authority that he has placed in your life. And you're ready to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. You're ready to live each and every day as an act of worship for him. Maybe you've been feeling cut off from his presence and you realize now is the day that you will fall to your knees and repent because you do not want to live one moment outside of his presence. because I am ready, church, for us to take some ground. I am ready for God to fight on our behalf and give us victory. I'm ready for us to come together and to praise him like never before so that we can see the armies fall right before our eyes, so that we can see God work on our behalf. Church, it's time. It's time that we stop playing church and we really are the church. It's time that we drop our sword and we pick up a heart of praise and worship. (laughs) It's time that we realize that God wants to do something amazing and incredible and grand and spectacular in this community, but we have have to have enough faith to believe it. So I thought about doing an altar call, but the fact of the matter is this is a moment that has to start with you. This has to be your own determination and your own conviction that you wanna see breakthrough take place in worship. So as the music plays and as we sing, I just want us to have a moment crying out to God and calling out to him.
worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the bread Jesus.